Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. Well, I want to speak to you today under the title of Keeping Hope Alive. I want to speak to you on how to live through a black swan. You say, what? Well, it's a phrase that a Lebanese economist by the name of uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb coined way back, and he said this. He said, it's any major event that comes as a huge surprise, a disproportionate, high-profile, hard-to-predict, rare event, notice this, that is beyond the realm of normal expectations in our history, science, finance, and technology. Something that happens that's like, wow, and it's disproportionate and it's unusual. How many of you realize today we are living with this COVID pandemic for the last year, we are living through what's called a black swan. Something unusual, but has a massive impact on our lives. Let me explain to you what other black swan events we face in our world. The fall of the Soviet Union and the fall of the Berlin Wall. Those were high profile, disproportionate events that affected the entire world our thinking, each one of us in our travel. Also 9-11 when the Twin Towers came down. That affected everybody. It was a black swan. And certainly in America, people needed to know how to live through it. The 2004 tsunami in Asia. Over 200,000 people died. People had to know how to live through that. A black swan. And then the financial crisis of 2008 when Wall Street crashed and people lost their homes, the economy across the world was plunged into recession. That was a black swan. And now we're going through COVID-19. It is indeed a black swan event and it can be described as disproportionate, rare, unpredictable, but having a huge impact on our lives. How do we live through such events? Now the author that coined this phrase, man called Nassim Nicholas Taleb, he wrote a book called Anti-Fragile. In other words, we've got to learn how to manage. And he says, uh, the subtitle in, in, inside in the foreword says, to increase the capability to thrive as a result of stresses, shocks, and unpredictable events. You see, these things cause a crisis of hope. And so we must know how to live through something as unusual as this through a black swan. And in fact, Jesus warned us that there would be black swan events, if you like. He quoted and spoke about the future world that we would live in, and he warned us and gave us advice on how to live through black swan events. We need to develop anti-fragility, just like the author suggested. And uh, in Luke chapter 21 and verse 10, Jesus here speaks about the black swan events that will come upon the world. Uh, then he said to them, his disciples, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines and pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. Now this word in the dictionary, pestilences, it's contagious or infectious diseases that are of epidemic proportions that are virulent and devastating. That's the exact translation of that word. A black swan is coming upon the world, he says, and you need to know how to get through it because it's part of the Father's plan for the end times. In verse 25 of Luke chapter 21, he says there will be strange things happening to the sun, the moon, and the stars. In other words, the environment is actually going to be affected. 
And then he says, on earth, whole countries will be in despair. How many of you know today, whole countries are in despair. That's why we need to keep hope alive and know how to live through the season. He says, they'll be afraid of the roar of the sea and the raging tides. People will faint from fear as they wait for what is coming over the whole earth. There's coming a black swan, he says, and several black swans. It's going to be a crisis of hope, and we need to know how to live through it. And you know, when a crisis comes into your life as a Christian, your level of faith, your level of strength, your level of hope, and your level of wisdom is often revealed by your reactions to the crisis. And we need to know how to get through this black swan. So let me give you four practical ways today on how to live through a black swan. Number one. We need to understand what God is doing in the world. For many believers, as they look at the world today, they can't make sense of it. How come this is happening? We are praying, we are fasting, whole churches are praying like never before, and this virus continues, and the infection rate continues, and the whole world is suffering under this. What is God doing in the world do we understand? Or do we feel like Gideon who questioned God when God was judging Israel and he was allowing devastation to come to them? They couldn't understand. And Gideon's uh, uh, prayer to the Lord was very much like many people today. Gideon asks God in the book of Judges chapter 6, Gideon said to the angel of the Lord, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles which our father told us about. People feel like that today. Why is this virus running rampant? We're praying, but we need to understand what God is doing in the earth because the Bible tells us. Well, what is God doing in the world? That's the big question. The Bible says that God is shaking the world. Jesus spoke in Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel of how the world would shake, how black swan events would take place. And then the writer to the Hebrews said this. He said, you know what? In the old days, God shook the world, but he's going to shake it again. Hebrews chapter 12. And uh, the writer here says, God shook Mount Sinai when he gave the law, but in the future, he's going to shake the world one more time and his son is going to be revealed. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 26, it says at that time, his voice shook the earth when the law was given. But now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. That's a quote, by the way, from Haggai chapter two and verse six. And then he says, the words once more indicate the removal of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. You see what God is doing in the world right now is he is shaking the world. He is removing the scaffolding that people have used to prop their lives up. The pleasures and the travel and the material things and the shallow values and the things people are doing in order to give meaning to their lives. God is shaking them and showing them you see you're not even certain about your future, your job, your life, your pleasures, your income. You can't even enjoy alcohol. Everything's been shut down. What have you got now and what are you holding on to? And for the Christian, as the shaking takes place, we realize, okay, God is doing this. We will not be shaken. We keep hope alive. This is a black swan allowed by God. And so it makes sense. 
You know, last year in October, there was an earthquake in Turkey and it shook both Turkey and Greece. And a 70-year-old man was uh, rescued from a collapsed building after being inside for 34 hours. And uh, 75 people were killed, 1,000 people uh, were injured, and it was a serious earthquake. And this older gentleman was taken to hospital and the Turkish health minister went to visit him. And the Turkish health minister tweeted that the survivor, Amit Sittim, told him, I never lost hope. In other words, this place was shaking. The building came down on me, but I was not without hope. I knew it would all be okay, and I would eventually be rescued. And we as Christians have to have the same attitude. Everything is shaking around us. Things are collapsing. We're going through a black swan, but we will not be moved we keep hope alive. We know God's got something in mind. And while there might be some debris that also falls on us, there might be some loss, we might get some cuts and bruises, we know we are secure in Christ because we have a hope in the Father. You know, when believers are shaken, they are not shaken in the same way that the unsaved are shaken. When unchurched people get shaken, sometimes their whole lives fall apart. But when a believer gets shaken, sometimes you know what happens? Fruit is produced. I was watching a video recently of how they harvest fruit from apple trees, and it's amazing. Have a look at this. Now you can see when the tree is shaken, fruit comes out, but the tree itself is not affected in any way. And we need to know what God is doing in the earth. We're all being shaken, but instead of falling apart, we produce fruit, we shine, and we blossom. And here's the thing, that fruit tree is shaken vigorously. All the fruit falls out, but you know what? While it is still planted and while it's still standing, it can grow more fruit. And that's what we need to be like as believers. When we're shaken tremendously and things are lost, we grow again and we keep hope alive. God allows black swan events and he allows shakings because he's got a purpose to accomplish and he's doing something in the earth and he's even doing something in the lives of believers. There's a great Bible commentator by the name of Warren Wearsby and he gives us some advice on how to live through a shaking. He says, what shall we do as we live in a shaking world? Listen to God, speak and obey him. Receive grace day by day to serve him with reverence and godly fear. Do not be distracted and frightened by the tremendous changes going on around you. Keep running the race with endurance. There's some advice. You stand firm, you stay planted and you realize God is doing something. I shall not be moved. I'll trust him in this black swan. Number two, the second thing we need to do during a black swan, how to live through a black swan, and it's so important, change your perspective through prayer. You know, the way we look at things is all important. We can look at things as disasters, or we can see them as development. And we do need to change our perspective, and our perspective often changes when we take it to God in prayer, when we take difficult things to God in prayer. I trust that you're praying every day. Pastor Wilma and I are praying every day, individually and then together. 
uh, for all the needs. And you know what? Your perspective changes when you take things to God in prayer. When Jesus faced his black swan in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, and the Bible says he sweat drops of blood. And uh, he faced a crisis, but he kept hope alive by praying. And then it says this, they, they, they sang a hymn. And they say it was one of the Psalms. So, so here's the thing, you need to pray the word. Because when you pray the Psalms or you pray the word, your perspective gets altered from tragedy or from disaster. You begin to see God's development. You see, begin to see God's purposes. And uh, when you pray the word, you know, the Bible says in Hebrews 4, the word is alive and it's active. And when you pray the word, you come alive and your perspective changes and you start to see what's happening in the world from God's point of view, not as oh, the whole world is falling apart. Let me give you some examples of praying God's word from the Psalms. You know, if you want to pray Psalm 27 while you pray, you say, Lord, I believe today that you are my light and my salvation. Whom? Shalafia. You see, praying God's word. Psalm 34, I sought you, Lord, and you delivered me from all my fears. Psalm 103, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. You pray that your spirit will come alive knowing God's doing something. He's shaking the world. He's on the throne. He's not absent. He's not hiding. He's not disappeared. He's not wound this clock up and leave, just leaving until the alarm bells ring. No, God is involved. He's sitting on the throne. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Thank you, Lord, that you're with me. You'll find your spirit will come alive and you'll begin to see things from God's perspective. And then Psalm 46, that wonderful Psalm that talks about the shaking. And it says, therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the sea goes on to say God is in the midst of her speaking about God's people and so we need to pray the word and it'll change our perspective you see as Christians we don't look at things the way everybody else does the apostle Paul reminds us here in 2 Corinthians and chapter 5 and he talks about our perspective notice this in verse 16 he says from now on then we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, in other words, as a Jew, someone physically who we recognized his roots and his background, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, now he comes to us, speaks about Jesus, now he comes to us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see, the new has come. They say in the original Greek, it, when it says new creation, it literally means new species. You're a different kind of a person. You're no longer just a human being, but you've been saved by Jesus. And so you don't live like normal people or average people do. You're a completely different kind of person. It's no longer race, the flesh or gender. It's about being a new creation. Now, what does he actually mean here? And, and, and what does this mean? We no longer look at Christ like we used to look. We look with a new perspective. Now, when we used to look at Jesus before, we used to see him as the suffering servant. He preached, he was rejected, he was hounded. Eventually, the Romans took him and they crucified him and he died and everyone was depressed. But then he rose again and now with a new perspective, we no longer see him as a frail earthly, fragile person who's going to die. We see him as the risen, resurrected Lord who is the first fruits of our resurrection. And so when we look at our lives, now as we go through a black swan, 
We need to pray so that our perspective is one of, we're not just living in this body and oh gosh, look, we're getting ill and people are dying and there's just no hope. No, we, we, we are going to be people who live forever. We don't just look at the flesh and that it's fragile and that we can die, but we look at eternity, we have a completely different perspective and you have to pray God's word in order to sustain this perspective. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called God in the Dock. And in the book, he talks about perspective. And he says this. He says, imagine a set of people who are living in the same building. Half of them think it's a hotel. Half of them think it's a prison. Those who regard it as a hotel might think it is quite intolerable. And those who thought it was a prison might decide that it's surprisingly comfortable. Then he says, if you think this world is a place intended simply for our happiness, you will find it quite intolerable. Think of it as a place of training and correction, then it's not so bad. So can you see your perspective is incredibly important? And I find when you pray the word, your perspective begins to change. It's like God opens your eyes and you begin to see eternity. You begin to hold on to his promises and you begin to expect good things instead of expecting bad things all the time. Most of us are living looking at the news, looking at the broadcasts, the social media, and all we see is negatives, more negatives, and more negatives. But when you see the word and you cast your mind into eternity, it's almost like you into a future world, you start to believe and you start to see, hang on a minute, good things are coming my way. This is just temporary. Now, I was reading a book by a Dr. Michelle Cunningham, and she's written a book about the prisoners of war in Borneo, of whom her father was one. And she did interviews with these prisoners and spoke to them about their experiences. And she says that one of the things they did in those prisoner of war camps was they spoke about food. And I want to recount to you what she says here. She says that they, they, they would sit around and talk about delicious recipes and their mom's favorites. She says, I thought, wouldn't that make you feel worse? Wouldn't it make you feel more hungry? But it was just amazing how many of them said, oh no, I'd think when I get home, that's the first thing I'm going to ask my mom to make. So they kept hope alive by casting their minds ahead to the good food that their mom makes at home, a kind of future projection. I've got something good coming my way. I'm in a prisoner of war camp right now. Things are really tough, but my perspective is on the food, the good food and the good things that are coming my way. You know, we don't realize the good things that are actually surrounding us right now. And sometimes we need our eyes opened. Now you may remember in 2 Kings chapter six, that Elisha and his servant were in a place called Dothan and the Arameans surrounded the place where they were because they wanted to capture Elisha. Benadad was the king of Aram and his name is significant because Hadad was the god of storms that they worshiped. So you're the god of storms or the god of noise uh, as Benadad's name means, uh, was surrounding the city and sometimes that's all we can hear is the noise of the negatives and we're surrounded by the negatives and it's like this black swan storm and this noise. But guess what? When you pray, that's when it cuts through and you begin to see with God's perspective. And I want us to read here from 2 Kings chapter 6 because Elisha begins to pray. And uh, we have to see what God is doing. And then when we see it, 
and we pray about it, then we get a fresh perspective. And it says here, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. That was a black swan in their lives. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. What is it that we can't see? Sometimes we can't see what God is doing because we don't have his perspective. We're just looking at the natural. And so that's why we need to understand God is shaking. Then we need to pray about it so that he gives us that perspective, that we're not on our own, that there are good things ahead and that God is with us. Amazing thing when that happens in your life because then you can live through a black swan because you're not just looking at one set of circumstances. Now, I remember reading a similar story some time back about John Payton, the missionary to the Venuto Islands. And uh, one night the natives surrounded the house that him and his wife were in and they were dead scared. They were locked up in this house and uh, Peyton and his wife prayed during that terror-filled night and they asked God to, to deliver them. And when it got to morning, suddenly the chief and all his men left and they walked away. Well, about a year later, the chief was converted to Christ and John Peyton sat down with him and he asked him what happened that night? How come you didn't kill us? And this is what the chief replied in surprise. Well, who were all those men there with you? Peyton knew no men were present, but the chief said he was afraid to attack because he had seen hundreds of big men in shining garments with drawn swords circling the mission station. There's a modern day version of what we just read in 2 Kings. And when we go through black swans, we need to pray. God can open our eyes. We can see with a heavenly perspective. We can see um, that, that we're not alone and we can get through this crisis that we're facing. Number three, the third thing we need to do is we need to keep hope alive in the uncertain waiting. It's extremely hard to go through a crisis when it doesn't seem to end. You know, often a crisis comes with a vengeance, but then it takes quite a time to pass. It hits you, bam, it's this disproportionate thing, but then it drags on and drags on and drags on, and we have to keep hope alive while we're waiting because we can get into despair. Patience in crisis is vital. Luc de Clapiers, a French writer, said, patience is the art of hoping. You see, you never stop hoping. It's gonna get better. And patience doesn't just wait, it doesn't just sit, but it's an active thing that says, good is coming, good is coming. Just hang in there. And so we need to keep our hope alive. And when we have patience, we reflect the level of hope in our lives. Tertullian was one of the early Christian authors and it was he who first coined the phrase, the Trinity. And uh, he said this, hope is patience with the lamp lit. You know, we mustn't just go, oh, well, when will this end? And kind of resign ourselves to, you know, just waiting. No, we need to be waiting. We need to have an expectation. Hope is patience with the lamp lit. And we need to be fully expectant that God is going to bring us through. In the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah in chapter three says, it is good that a man should, should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. 
You see, Henry Beecher explains to us what happens when we keep hope alive and we wait patiently. He says, the moment an ill can be patiently handled, it is disarmed of its poison, though not of its pain. You see, there's a poison that comes when we go through a black swan that can poison our whole lives. But if we wait in hope, expecting God to do something, the poison goes, even though unfortunately the pain can't be taken away. I don't know about you, but it's extremely hard to wait. I find it hard to wait for things. I find it hard to wait for a reply to an email. A day, two days, three days. Feels like eternity sometimes when you're waiting. It's extremely hard to wait. It's hard to wait for God to bring a partner into your life. When, Lord, are you going to do it? It's hard to wait for a response to a job application. Waiting for a reply to a loan application when you want to buy a house or a car. It's extremely hard to wait. It's hard to wait for an ambulance. It's hard to wait to be rescued. And it's really hard to wait for the season to end. But we need patience and we need to keep hope alive even though it is dragging on. The truth about our situation right now is explained in Psalm 74. We don't know how long this is going to go on. And the psalmist says, we are given no signs from God, no prophets are left, and none of us knows how long this will be. Now, I know some will beg to differ with me, and people have been prophesying that it would have ended at Easter last year. Others prophesied July. Others said the end of the year. But the truth be told, we don't know how long. And so we have to learn to wait instead of becoming impatient and grabbing onto prophecies that are not of the Lord. Psalm 13 and verse 1 reflects how we often feel and how during a time like this, it's natural to ask the Lord. And the psalmist says here, maybe you can relate to this. He says, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after day, have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemies triumph over me? We wonder how long, but we haven't been told how long. So we need patience. We need to wait. And uh, this thing is dragging on, but we have to keep hope alive. Rolf Abernathy was a Baptist pastor, and he actually was the mentor of Martin Luther King. And he said, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. You see, we don't know what the future holds. We don't know when it's going to end, but we know who, and we know what he's doing. And we can begin to see with a perspective as we pray. And so we go, it doesn't matter. If it drags on, we know who holds it, and we trust him fully. You know, one of the key things while you're waiting is not to make rash decisions. Don't become impatient because when we become impatient and we become emotionally low, that's when we make very bad decisions. And we must make our decisions when we're in a good frame of mind. I remember years back, and I've quoted this many times, Dr. Robert Schuller, the late Dr. Robert Schuller quoted this, and he said, never make your most important decisions when you, when you are in your worst moods. Uh, wait, be patient, the storm will pass, the spring will come. And you know, let me remind you here, waiting is not just passive, oh well, it's waiting with expectancy. It's, there's, there's kind of an activity to it. It's the lamp that is lit and it says, soon, I'm trusting God. And the word hope in the New Testament and the word hope in the Old Testament, they both carry with them the connotation of uh, anticipation 
usually with pleasure. So you're not just passing the time waiting, but you're anticipating. There's an expectation, and it's coupled with pleasure. And, and, and uh, someone once said it, it can be related to sports fans. Robert Auburn is, is a comedian, and he, he says, wait till next year is the favorite cry of baseball fans, football fans, hockey fans, and gardeners. Wait till next year. You see, that's not wait till next year when we play you next season, but it's just you wait till next year. We, we're excited and with pleasure, we're expecting to win again. And that needs to be our cry too. Wait till next year. We need to be expectant. We need to wait. And we mustn't let hope die while we are waiting. Let me read you a wonderful psalm that speaks about patience and how patience is rewarded as we close off this point. Psalm 14 verse 1. The psalmist says here, I waited patiently for the Lord. That was his experience and it can be ours too. He says he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth. I'm sure you need a new song today. You need a new way of living, but you've got to wait patiently and then God will do it. Doesn't matter how deep the hole you're in at the moment. Doesn't matter how you feel like you're sinking. Wait patiently. God will hear and he will deliver you. He says here, many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. He casts his mind back to the past when he had to wait, and then he casts his mind to the future. And he says, you know what, in the past I waited and you were good to me. Now I'm trusting you again and I'm living in hope and I'm patiently waiting, you've got good things up ahead for me. G.K. Chesterton said this. He said, there's one thing that gives radiance to everything. It is the idea of something around the corner. The psalmist had that confidence. He's done it in the past. He's gonna do it in the future. And there's something around the corner. That's the kind of patience we need. And that's the kind of hope we need. Not a resignation of, oh, well, who knows, but an expectancy with pleasure. Number four, the fourth way we can live through a black swan is become an agent of hope. Become an agent of hope. You know, Jesus is the hope of the world. The church should be the hope of the world and the church should lead the way in hope. Often when we face a black swan, the church's first response is normally to get up and to give food and clothing and, and, and material assistance. But actually the, the church's first job, even though those things are very important and very good, the church's first response should be to lead the way by creating hope. Because before people need food and water, they need hope. You can actually get by for a few days without food and water, but you can't get by for a couple of minutes without hope. And the church must be the leaders of hope. And you can't lead in hope unless you've got hope yourself. Napoleon said leaders are dealers in hope. If you're going to be a leader of any kind, you need to be a person who deals in hope. You create a preferred future. You point to the God of hope and you lead the way. You ought to exude hope if you're going to have an influence on people. 
John Maxwell says hope is one of the greatest gifts leaders can give to those around them. Its power should never be underestimated. It takes a great leader to give hope to people when they can't find it in themselves. So the church needs to give hope to people and we need to be leaders in hope because hope is extremely important, especially when you're going through a black swan. John W. Gardner was a minister in the American government at one time, and he said the first and last task of a leader is to keep hope alive. I hope that I'm doing that for you today. The hope that we can finally find our way through to a better world, despite the day's action, despite our own inertness, shallowness, and wavering resolve. The church needs to point to the hope of Jesus while they face a shallowness and an inactivity and they're filled with doubt and fear. We need to be hope bringers and we need to lead the way in hope. Bob Eaton was a former CEO of Daimler Chrysler and as a leader and CEO, he said this, a leader is someone who can take a group of people to a place they don't think they can go. You know, many people today don't think they can see a future. They don't have hope anymore. There's been so many setbacks, financial, emotional. They've lost loved ones. There have been so many hardships that they, they're just looking at each day and trying to survive. And as leaders, as Christians, we need to be agents of hope. We need to be filled with hope. We need to see what God's doing in the world. We need to be people who see with a heavenly perspective because we're constantly praying. And then while we wait for God to do something, our hope doesn't wane. We give that hope to other people. And in a crisis, in a black swan, that's what Christians do. Now you'll remember the apostle Paul found himself in a black swan event and he had to keep hope alive. He was in a storm in the book of Acts while he was sailing to Rome and they suffered a shipwreck. Now, while they were on that ship, that storm was disproportionate. It was a rare event, it was sudden, and it overwhelmed them. And Paul is an agent of hope as they go through the black swan. And we can learn from just this brief story, as I begin to move to a close, we can learn from this brief story as Christians what we need to do. Let's pick it up from verse 18. And he says, we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. They didn't care about the material anymore. The black swan had so whacked them that they, they didn't know what to do. He says on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, sounds like now, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Man, this was a black swan and hope was going out of the door. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Let me just pause there for a moment. You know, sometimes when you go through something, you think, well, why did God allow that? Sometimes God will bring us through something, but there will be a lot of loss around us. It's like the tree being shaken. Always remember we can grow again. We can grow fruit again. We can prosper again. We can pick up again. It's the earth we're living in. It's subject to these things. It's subject to God's actions and shakings. Let's not give up all hope as long as we can move forward into the future. And then in verse 23, it says, Last night, an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, 
do not be afraid, Paul. And so here we see that the Apostle Paul, even though he's a man of God, called by God, he goes through a black swan, but he's an agent of hope in the midst of it. He knows to whom he belongs, and he knows who he's serving, and so he's able to bring hope to others, because as he waits on God, God speaks to him, and through prayer, he gets a perspective, and he receives a word from the Lord. We need to do the same. Wait patiently and pray, and God will speak to us from his word and encourage us. Some of you may have read the great books by a man called Oswald Chambers, the Scottish minister. And he said this, he gives us advice, uh, just leading on here from what the Apostle Paul says. He says, remember whose you are and whom you serve. Provoke yourself by recollection and your affection for God will increase tenfold. Your imagination will not be starved any longer, but will be quick and enthusiastic and your hope will be inexpressibly bright. He says, you see, remind yourself whose you are and whom you serve and keep that hope alive. Then you can become an agent of hope because your hope will not just be there, but it'll be inexpressibly bright. We need to be agents of hope and we need to get through this black swan and we will get through this black swan if we keep hope alive. In a moment, I'm gonna pray with you and I hope you've been encouraged today and helped and inspired and I trust that you'll go and pray and get a fresh perspective. But I was recently reading a book called The Hope Quotient by a man called Ray Johnston. And uh, in the book, he recounts a story which I want to wrap up with today as, as I close in prayer. And it relates to people who today might not know Jesus. And Ray Johnston says he was once approached by a journalist who interviewed him. And you know, he was part of a thriving church. And the journalist asked him, what do pastors of thriving churches have to contribute to CEOs of growing companies? Is there any advice they can give them? Is there anything that translates from leading a thriving church to leading a thriving business? And um, can church leaders offer the business person anything? And he responded by saying, oh, that's easy. And I'll recount to you what he says. He said, I've learned a lot, but the most important life leadership lesson I've learned in the past decade is that the solution to everything is the right person. Anything that is not in good shape is one really great person away from being in good shape. He says in the Bible, when the nation had the right king, then the people thrived. When they had the wrong leader, it declines. The solution to everything is to have the right person. You see, church, the answer today to a black swan it's not all sorts of ideas that people are giving that are not biblical, but it's the right person. In politics, when you have the right leader, that is a, a person that has godly wisdom, you find everything gets solved. And you know, in our lives, as we go through a black swan, we, we, we don't just need medication, we need the right person, firstly, in our lives. Because the right person solves every challenge that you're facing. Many Christians can testify when they have met that right person, Jesus Christ, and he has come into their lives, everything changed. Their perspective changed, their hope changed, their future changed, their way of looking at life changed, and their hope was in their future, in their eternity, not just in the present. I wonder today, do you have the right person in your life? Because the answer to everything is the right person. The answer to this black swan is living with the right person in your life. 
If you've never received Jesus Christ in your life, or if you're a Christian today who's not keeping him central, I want to pray with you today and lead you in prayer so that you can put the right person in the center of your life. Come, let's pray together. Join me in prayer, especially if you don't know Jesus today. Father, I come to you and I thank you for giving the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that he is the right person. In fact, the only person who can deal with our sin. We receive him as the gift of heaven, as the savior today. And we put him in the center of our lives. We make him Lord and our focus and our hearts are turned towards him. Lord Jesus, come into our hearts. Make us new people. Thank you that you're the right person to every challenge that we face. We receive you today, commit to follow you today. And we thank you, Father, for your son. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.